you're listening to The Watchers, a show where two women from opposite ends of New Jersey watch movies about the fact that I don't think they allow dancing in Music Town. They definitely don't allow dancing in Music Town. I'm or Andrea. tattoos or piercings. <laughs> no revealing clothing. Nope. We're here. It's happening. It's happening. Last and- week, it was mine. And this is this is your significant movie. It is. And it's one that I never thought we'd even get to do because we didn't realize until you were about, what, halfway through this movie? No, I realized it about <laughs> 10 minutes in. Um, I remember saying last week, I only saw this movie once and it was over 10 years ago. Um, I was wrong. I did not see this movie. I worked in a video store in 1995 and I saw the preview for this movie about a thousand times. I'll bet. Yeah. And because I was working in a video store called Empire Video, I might add, I apparently (laughs) never watched this movie. That's so funny. So we accidentally stuck to our plan. I'm so happy about that. That makes me so happy. Um, I will say the first thing that I learned Mm -hmm. on watching this movie and doing the little bit of research (laughs) that I did because I thought I knew everything is this movie was a total flop. Oh, huge bomb. I had, because I was nine or 10 when this movie came out. So I had no idea. And this movie was huge for me and my friends. Because it got to the way that it got to its cult status, which is Mm -hmm. like the after the fact, VHS swapping, video renting, like that's how it really this is a movie people. i didn't exactly this is a movie i didn't see in theaters but it is a movie i saw like pretty much as soon as it was out to rent because i think i've said before we were at the video store like several times a week so i saw everything yeah. it's a movie nobody saw in theaters i had I it truly, made like it, oh, no money it released to 87 theaters nationwide i Wild. had no idea i had and no that idea. was not the original plan yeah no like it got pulled way 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 back like at the last yeah. minute because uh, mostly because of Clueless and one bad test screening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really wild. It was like, it was a complete flop. And, and, you know, I was reading reviews. We'll get into this and, and we'll do our thing. And I was reading reviews of it and I sort of get the issue, except I just don't think this movie was trying to do what people were faulting it for not doing. Hmm. That's interesting. Because, I mean, well, I don't know if we should talk about this right off the bat. We should probably start the way we usually start. But I found a really sort of insightful quote about why it didn't I wonder if it's the same one I found. There's a fantastic BuzzFeed article, which is not something I say very often about BuzzFeed articles. That's where I got it. Yeah, I'll obviously drop it in the show notes. We're probably both going to quote from this a lot because it's great. But it's by Anne Helen Peterson. Yeah, who I also really love her. Um, She has a podcast um, called Work Appropriate on the Crooked Network that's about like work work culture. Cool. Um, the quote that I'm referring to is, this is when Empire Records began filming in 1994. Kurt Cobain had just committed suicide. Bark Jacobs had put grunge on the high fashion runway. And the major record labels were throwing money at anything that might be the next Nirvana or Pearl Jam. Empire Records, like Reality Bites before it, was the product of a major studio attempting to reach a subculture notoriously re- resistant to direct address. This makes so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually think I probably enjoyed this movie more now than I would have at the time. Because at the time, it would have felt like it was trying too hard to do something. 
that I had already been looking at for years at in other movies and felt like it was past that time. Right. I guess to me, I just feel like it isn't, and I mean this as a compliment for this movie. I think maybe um, listeners are learning that for, I, I may be coming across on this show as a little frivolous because so Definitely like, not. Um, and I'm okay. I, well, but if I am, I'm okay with that because what I'm about to say is that like, I just don't think this movie really was, I mean, there's obviously the damn, damn the man, save the empire, that whole thing, mm-hmm. but it's Mark the stoner who's, you know, ate a whole tray of weed brownies yeah. who has that idea. And it's a very small story. Yeah. I just don't know how much of a message this movie is trying to have. I don't think you're, yeah, I don't think you're wrong about that. And I think that's okay. I think I that's, this movie yeah. always feels good to watch for me for that reason. Yeah. Because like, I don't have, you know, pump up the volume, which you know I liked a whole lot. I still have to, I guess you sort of also with Empire Records have to deal with things like um, suicide to an extent. Though even Deb says, like, that's not really. It's a very different uh, sort of valence on it. Like, the vibes in this movie are not the vibes and pump up the volume at exactly. all. Exactly. Yeah. I think you're right. I don't think that. I think it was marketed as like a Gen X movie. Like maybe the problem mm-hmm. was actually in the PR and the marketing and not right. and the expectations that that created um, as opposed to that it was trying to do something that it didn't do. Cause you're, I think you're right. I don't think it was trying to do that. Right. Um, I just, I kind of think this is a movie about a group of teenagers on the like precipice of adulthood and what it's like spending a day at the record store they all work at like i mean i kind of think that's what this movie is and it does a great job of that yeah (laughs) and not to simplify it but it is a little bit breakfast club at a record store totally you know which is not a bad thing that's not an insult at all right i loved the breakfast club before i realized how rapey it was in certain places but um should we summarize or should I summarize this movie for you? Yeah. What's Empire Records about, Jody? Oh, gosh. Okay. Let's see how I do. I didn't write anything down again. Um, Empire Records. It's a Records, very complicated plot. Yeah, right. Right. Empire Records is about a group of uh, misfit teens that work at an independent record store for mm-hmm. their sort of disgruntled drummer boss, Joe. Uh, who is the manager not the owner as we find out Um, the store is about to be sold to a chain a evil corporation called Music Town Mm -hmm. um, which really reminded me of like Sam Goody I know a lot of people associate it with Tower Records but uh, we'll talk about that later well Um, yeah I was yeah Um, and so in the process of one day we find out that lucas who has finally been trusted to close the store the night before sees the paperwork finds out that they're about to be sold decides to take the nine thousand dollars that this place somehow earned in a day and (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i worked at a video store (laughs) maybe it's a weekly thing maybe um and go to atlantic city and gamble to try to save the store quote unquote by making Mm money back of course he loses the money and we go throughout the day we meet other various characters at the store lucas somehow is not fired or murdered or sent to jail um and then later in the day 
there's Rex Manning, this like weird Robert Palmer, Rod Stewart-esque star. <laughs> so there's like a subplot about him and one of our main characters wanting to lose her virginity to him, which I find horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually the day is saved by the lovable Mark who decides they should put on an event, concert, party, and charge money to raise the money to buy the store back from Mitchell, who is the original owner. How did I do? I know there's more than that, but that's sort of like the broad strokes. Yeah, I think you crushed it. I don't know if I'd say that, but... um, Yeah, and we have our different, like, main characters who we can talk about. Um, Gina, who is Renee Zellweger, looking very uh, Chasing Amy in this movie. Yeah, yeah totally. Like, Full Chasing Amy mm-hmm. vibes. Liv Tyler as Corey, the like overachiever page from Pump of the Volume type. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark, lovable stoner. Yeah. With a C or with a K? Yeah. Uh, who else? Adrian. Lucas, obviously. Lucas. The sort of dark, sardonic idiot who gambles away the money. AJ, the lovesick, uh, quote unquote, nice guy. Mm-hmm. It's definitely his vibes. Yeah, everybody uh, has one characteristic for yeah. the most part. And I'm, again, this is a movie I will be completely uncritical of. I'm yeah. sorry. But no. I think I think that's fine. I was completely <laughs> uncritical last week. I I get it. Um, and then there's other various characters. There's Warren Beatty, the... <laughs> I know. It's great. The younger kid who is shoplifting and gets mm-hmm. caught. Rap metal, rap metal, Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and later comes girlfriend, back okay? with a gun, which uh-huh. was wild. Um, yeah. And it ends up with the two sort of quote unquote leads, AJ and Corey. Uh falling in love on t- on the roof of the building which she's so the way she like swoons she like kind of like yeah. it's just very she's just very charming in this movie i'm not like a huge i'm sort of this is strange because i'm kind of indifferent to Liv tyler mm-hmm. despite the fact that i do love her in this movie and she's in that thing you do that yeah. same year or a year later yeah and she year. is unbearably lovable in that movie yeah it agreed. is so hard not to fall in love with her yeah um in and i i feel a little bit that way about her in this movie because i'm in love with everybody in this movie yeah. um but it's that thing you do is like she's she's yeah. perfect in that movie. i did not like her nearly as much in this movie as i did in yeah. that thing you do and i think it was like the sort of 90s slut shamey stuff she was doing it was just mm-hmm. like no thank you yeah um there was another quote from that same buzzfeed article that uh Alan Moyle, our our director that we're kind of covering, said even after Tyler was cast and arrived on set, it was unclear if she could act or was just being herself. <laughs> and like apparently everyone she, on set was in love with her. That's so interesting because I think she is really good in this movie. Like this scene yeah. when age after she throws herself at Rex mm-hmm. and she goes running up to the roof. And of course, because AJ has decided by 137 exactly, Joe, he's going to tell Corey he loves her. Yeah. He, it's the worst moment. He does not realize that she's already crying and upset. He's not reading the situation. At 
even a little bit because no. AJ's an idiot. Yeah. Um, All of the men in this sh- movie are idiots. Are idiots. Yeah. Um, and she, um, she's really good in that scene where she's like, she really can't believe it. And she's like, yeah, so done. Um, and I, I think she's great in that scene, but it is interesting to think like how many choices she's actually making there. I don't know. Yeah. I don't um, think that she's like a bad actor, but I do think she seems to have a track mm-hmm. that she can stay on and, and yeah. be believable in. And I don't know. I've never seen her in anything that stretches her too much beyond that. So she's always somebody who feels like she's just about to burst into tears. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, it, she's good at it she's only that's the other thing is again this is another movie where i thought old people were playing young people and for some of them that's true yeah Cody shivers which yeah. this He's is like, not news to me but he was like almost 30 and lied about his age and um, he was also even weirder her, she's he's or he, he was, was at the time Liv's stepfather this this but was she's like, only 18, I think, when they're filming this. He was married to Liv Tyler's mother. His mom. He's a fucking scumbag. I don't know if you know anything about No, um, I Cody found Shivers. that out too. Oh, yeah. He's he like, is a scumbag. Yeah, he is. He, Which bums like me not out. One good thing about him. No, <laughs> like nothing. That bummed me out really bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, Liv Tyler, for me, my main association with her, other than that thing you do, was the Aerosmith videos. <laughs> That's right, right. With Alicia Silverstone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alicia Silverstone? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I don't know why I blanked on her last name. Yeah, I literally, <laughs> early on in my notes, I said, because I, I had to Google this, Liv Tyler is only a year and a half younger than me. And then I wrote, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> because those videos were important. Yeah, formative. Ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for some reason in my brain, I was like, am I being creepy about this? But I was like, no, we're about <laughs> no. the same age. So. Yeah. yeah, no, I think I've been in love with her and, and Alicia Silverstone for... Oh, yeah, especially the crazy video where they're clearly, like, a couple. Yeah. Again, I want to be clear, I don't know why, but Alicia Silverstone, or Alicia Silverstone, Liv, Liv Tyler in these early movies, I, she's just not somebody who's like, what is... I, I'm, like, not a Lord of the Rings person. Oh, I know she's yeah. in the... Uh, yeah. Uh, she was, like, an elf. Armageddon, obviously. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I know she's worked a movies. ton. She has. Yeah. She's just not somebody whose career I've like. I don't think kept... she's done a lot lately. I could be wrong right. about that. I guess we could find out. We could. If only. If only there was the thing where we could figure that out. Hmm. Um, Ethan Embry is in this movie, who is adorable. I love him. Again. I believe it. Well, and it's. He goes right from this also to that thing you do, where he is even more of a like sweet doofus. He's and just, apparently was still ugh. wildly in love with Liv Tyler, which is very cute. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, um, she's on that nine one one Lone Star show. So, I feel like a lot of these people ended up on those sort of serialized cop things. Yeah, um, she did more tv acting she's she's done more tv mm-hmm. acting than i than i knew rory the guy who played lucas was on csi miami for a long time uh, okay again dazed and confused and then this movie yeah. two movies i loved as a kid he's yeah. he's he i think he's really charming in this movie um yeah i've i found some fun info when i was researching this as well like the um the original screenplay 
didn't include any of the like anti-corporate stuff at all Mm -hmm. it wasn't about like a corporate takeover it was like more about the individual characters which i thought was interesting well, and it's funny because you said earlier people associate Music Town more with Tower Records. Yeah. But the screenwriter mm-hmm. worked at Tower Records. Yep. This in her head, that that's what this place is based on. Yeah. So. And when she was interviewed and somebody brought it up that other people think of Music Town as the Tower Records, she was like shocked. Uh-huh. Which seems a little a right. little like naive. But right. yeah, the screenwriter is Carol Heikinen. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. I I have a picture of Tower Records on uh, in the village behind me because I spent a lot of time in Tower Records when I lived mm-hmm. in the city. Oh, yeah. So like the little like listening booths and all of that, I, I used to spend a lot of time just like listening to music before I bought it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I really loved it. Yeah, we had a tower on South Street in Philly forever. Yeah. Um, but then also like, yeah, I mean, it's funny because South Street had Tower, but then it also it still has repo records which has been around forever and is there are like a lot of bands that i got my first like cd just from like picking up headphones that were plugged in you know mm-hmm. to one of the little listening stations there yep so um yeah exactly always always the dream to work at a record store i never did it but but i did work at a video store which felt like the next best thing mm-hmm. i do think the thing about this movie one of the things about this movie though is that like I, again, I worked at a video store, but I also worked at a movie theater and ours was like mm-hmm. a very, it was a pretty small theater. It was one where at the time, this isn't true now, but it was the, it was a Southern chain that had one, for some reason, theater in Jersey. And so we had no corporate oversight, right. like it, at, at all. We had one, um, our like manager when I worked there was 30, which now I know is still basically a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um and district we didn't have district and like once a year or something like that the like corporate team would come up but for the most part it was just like it was a free-for-all and I loved it and it was like my whole life for a few years and I think that's what I connect to now that was your empire records yeah yeah totally I feel like for me like I like I said I worked at a video store called empire video but we've talked about this in the past I my bosses kind of sucked and like Mm -hmm. I was friends with the people I worked with but it wasn't like a fun job for me, the job I had, and I don't know, I, th- I I wonder what it's like for kids growing up now if they still have these sort of like jobs that are just populated by teens. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure they do like ice cream stands and things like, right. you know, in the summer is all college, people, people going away to college. But like, you know, when I was growing up, I worked in a bagel shop for two years mm-hmm. and everyone I worked with was a friend of mine. Like, we were right, all 16 right. year old girls, like, mm-hmm. and we... Our our bosses were, turned out later, one of them was a little bit creepy, but no. uh, hence the all 16-year-old girls mm-hmm. part. Um, but we had so much fun, even though we worked our asses off. We got there at like quarter right. to six in the morning. Mm-hmm. But like after we got out of work, like we would all hang out. We would go play pool. We would go exactly. hang out in the park. We would go have bagel fights. Like with the leftover bagels. I would just other. like come up to the theater and hang out. Like yeah. when on my off days, yeah. like I, when we, we would s- all, cl- no, go ahead. I was just going to say like, we would close the theater and then all just drive to the diner up the road. Yeah. Like I spent so much time with my life wrapped up with that little place that yep. like, and I don't, I, I think 
is to me that feels like a universal if you're a person who so. worked yeah as a teenager it's probably you know? like an economic class thing like if you're right, from that's a, true too from an economic class or with parents that insisted on it where you had to work as a teenager in order to mm-hmm. like put gas in your shitty car or whatever or right. you know pay for the bus if you didn't have a car mm-hmm. like you probably had because my very first job was at a supermarket and I definitely had a crush on the guy in produce but after that I worked at the bagel store for two years and so Mm -hmm. we were all friends like when I would sneak out in the middle of the night and I would walk into town with my friends we would knock on the door or the window of the bagel shop and one of the bakers Eddie would like open the door and give us bagels and be like go home go home guys what are you doing it's two in the morning your parents don't know you're doing this like because he was like an older Greek guy right yeah and he he would just like give us bagels and admonish us to not stay out (laughs) I love that. You know, and so it was sort of like a little hub for us. Mm-hmm. So I do, I do get that sort of like, we all grew up together. We all graduated high school around the same time. And like, we all went away to college around the same time. And so I do relate to that feeling of that, that job that becomes more than just a job, like because yeah. of the people that are there. And I think that feels very real in this movie. Like there are certain yeah. scenes when I was watching where I was like, I think they do a good job of making it feel like these are people who have all worked together probably like for two years, right? Since they were old enough to get the job, yeah. basically. Um, and like like when you don't get a ton of backstory on why Deb is the way she is, you figure out it's got some stuff to do with her mom and she's just generally yeah. like, but she there's have, not her like- Her mom's not there, apparently. Yeah. But there's not, like, a huge scene like that. You get the scene with Deb's, like, fake funeral, her living Mm -hmm. funeral that they have, where you do get a little bit of backstory on most of them. You get that weird, I've always thought that was strange, that Joe is Lucas's adopted father. Yeah. (laughs) Which is so strange. Extremely strange. Also, the only thing that explains why he didn't call the cops. Well, I think that's why that's That's why it had to be there. Because otherwise, I could not take that logical leap. Yeah. Like, I don't care how cool your boss is. If you steal $9,000, they're calling the cops. Like, <laughs> so. That... Although maybe I, this isn't me being whatever. I think if I were Joe, I probably wouldn't. I couldn't imagine sending somebody yeah, at that true. age. To, that's true. Because like Lucas is, he's what, he's probably 18 or, mm-hmm. he's probably 18 or 19. Like he would go to jail. That's a right. lot of money. That's true. Um, so, so I don't know. I wouldn't well, be letting him. A- hang out in the store though yeah yeah well and also apparently and this way i got from that same article you might probably read this too like the story came from this like legend of a tower records employee Mm -hmm. who took the count out money at the end of the night and but then showed up the next day which to me is like what the fuck so the manager apparently didn't press charges and the employee didn't even get fired so like comes from somewhere yeah yeah oh my god just like all that retail stuff Mm -hmm. really i have visceral memories from all of my years working in retail like i worked in retail on and off until my mid-30s and like the cash registers the drawers (laughs) the cashing out the counting the like all of that stuff was just like ugh. it I just like when you've done it for long enough, it's it lives in you. Like I could get, oh yeah, you could put me in front of a cash register right now, and I could start ringing people out so fast. <laughs> like totally. Like I would just, I'm unfortunately good at it after all these years. Mm-hmm. So, 
It's also why I'm so annoying to go to a clothing store with because I'm going to be straightening racks. Like I can't. I'm so sorry. I did this at a bookstore last weekend. <laughs> I can't help it. Um, so this is not really a thing, but the fashion in this movie mm-hmm. is so 1995. Like I was, like I said last week, I was 19 in 1995. I still love and will probably always love the giant pants, small tank top look. <laughs> like that's just and it's a back good, around. It is it's back. a good look. It's a good look. <laughs> it's a good look. I it, that part didn't feel dated to me. A lot of other things uh-huh. did. The haircuts, also, yeah. The makeup, mm-hmm. the men's clothing, the fact just, that all of again, their shirts were way too big, so big. Yeah. Uh, AJ is falling out of that shirt. Oh, my God. They're all falling out of the coats and the well, shirts and the pants. Except for Lucas, who's got that cool beatnik look for some reason. Yeah. Which is... He looked like he just came out of So I Married an Axe Murderer. <laughs> exactly. Which, which the um, Deb Debbie Mazar, who plays yeah. uh, Jane, was in. Me, Joe, you, Jane. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's very 95 in a way that feels like actually 95 like clueless we all celebrate for the fashion in that movie yeah. and it is incredible but it's very like amped up yeah you know what i mean and yeah. that's kind of the point because they're all rich kids and whatever they're yeah. like trying for it but like the kids in the characters in empire records dress like people were actually dressing in 95 those little plaid skirts had such a hold on everybody <laughs> with the giant boots oh my god and the the fucking uh the furry that like material mohair. that lives mohair sweater yep is like i haven't seen anything made out of that material since maybe 2001 oh, we will maybe. again it, we it's will. gonna come it's back around back. i'm sure yeah um, it will but uh yeah i definitely have a photo of myself somewhere dressed very similarly to Liv tyler in this movie mm-hmm. from around the same time i believe it yeah yeah the thing the one thing i had a hard time with in this movie was believing that the girls in this movie actually liked Rex Manning. Like, I get it. He's supposed he's been around for a while. They've liked him well, their whole I life. Think the only one who really did was Liv. And I'm sure that she, you know, did because she grew up probably having a crush on him when he was little, the like the yeah. same way that I did like uh, uh Robbie Sinclair from Dinosaurs, <laughs> for example. Andrea. Andrea. Just for example. It's probably the same thing. Sure, and I'm sure. just saying, if I worked at a record store and Robbie Sinclair, <laughs> the dinosaur, we're on, some, we're on some kind of like comeback tour or uh-huh. whatever. Yeah, yeah. What, what am I gonna? You know, I'm bringing makes... Robbie his lunch. You know what, what I mean? Um. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Where was I? I don't know. Oh, we, oh, were, talking we were talking about, about women. Ren Rex Manning. Yeah, I was so relieved when I realized that nobody else liked him. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, this can't be like somebody that we're supposed to think is in any way good or likable yeah no and the way like mark just being mark he's the only one who's kind of swept up in it but he's just like an excitable guy yeah so he's just excited at the spectacle of it i think yeah he'd be excited at pretty much anything exactly it's like major golden retriever energy oh yeah yeah i love him so much i love i mean again 
I think the reason that I enjoyed this so much more now than I think I would have at the time was because now I can look back on that time in my life and the people I was friends with and very much see them in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like I knew a Mark. I think I was Mark. Yeah, I could see that. I think I definitely was Mark. Yeah. I don't know if there's anyone in this movie that I was. I think the closest I probably was was Gina. Mm-hmm. Well, and Gina, yeah. I like, Gina has one flaw in this movie, and it's, it's that she has sex with Rex Manning. Yeah. Like, otherwise, she, like, she tries to be nice to Deb. She yeah. is a pretty good friend to to live yeah. until until she that moment yeah. but it's because Corey is such an asshole to yeah, her she really is um, yeah at that scene when they're having lunch together so yeah. it's like i you know that slut shaming like, scene was not great yeah i mean no it did what it was supposed to do but mm-hmm. yeah she's really good at being a self-righteous asshole because gina even says miss self-righteous mm-hmm. and the way Liv puts her big broad chin i mean that as a compliment puts her big broad <laughs> chin in the air like she's so yeah 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 no i thought it was really funny hey you forgot your thingy i, I wrote that down it's something I, don't leave anything near me that you mean to take with you because I, I have that. to say it i have to i believe it I feel like some of these, if I'd watched it at that time, would definitely have been in my vocabulary. Like, I don't feel the need to explain my art to you, Warren. I don't feel the need to explain my art to you, Warren. Who glued these quarters down, man? Yeah. What the hell for? Yeah. Yeah. The whole Um, movie is just like, there's not, there is not a day that goes by that I don't think of this movie. It's like, (laughs) if I catch, like, even just like if I catch 137 on the clock, like, it's, I I have to, I have to mention it. (laughs) Like That's so funny. The other thing this movie does have going for it is there's some really good montages, like (laughs) musical moments where like the music picks up and there's like a little bit of, and because it can be, what is the word for it? When it's like the music is diegetic, diegetic. Thank you. When the music is actually happening in the movie, because of that, it feels less cheesy than it would otherwise. Mm -hmm. Like it's still a little cheesy, but like, it's not over the top. It's like fun. Yeah. Because you could, there's a reason the music would actually be playing. Exactly. This movie feels like, and it's interesting um, that this is a case, this movie almost feels like it could be a musical. Like mm-hmm. those moments like that. Yeah. And We're we know get that. to that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Every um, single, every single movie we've done recently, making a musical of. Exactly. Which is a very weird thing. The like montage of them getting the store ready. Yeah. Um, that's one that feels really relatable if you've worked any sort of retail at all yeah how many times have you dusted a store that probably didn't need to be dusting because the people who closed the night before also dusted but it's on your stupid checklist yeah no also like i worked at starbucks in my like late 20s and early 30s and uh closing at the end of the night was when Mm -hmm. things were able to get a little crazy like you would turn the music up really loud because nobody wanted to clean the stupid store so like we had to like play the music be silly be stupid like throw pastries at each other mm-hmm. you know just to get through it there's also the shoplifter montage is so good when lucas is chasing him uh-huh yeah yeah i also really a lot of these movies are so reminding me of the grip that mtv had on culture yes. because there's such mtv 
like based movies in a way. Mm-hmm. Like the reason that Rex Manning is like so famous is because he's a video star. Like he's mm-hmm. an MTV star, you know? And like that video that they showed, <laughs> it's so the Robert Palmer video. It's so stupid. It's addicted to yeah. love. Yeah. It's bad, but it's like definitely a reference to something really specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the fact that Video Killed the Radio Star is one mm-hmm. of the first songs you hear in this. Yeah. Um, in this movie. Um, I'm I keep holding off. I keep starting to and then stopping talking about the soundtrack because it's the most important part of this movie. Yeah. Um, it is everything to me. I believe that. I actually, one of my very first notes to myself, I think it was like line three was, I see why Andrea loves the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I wrote, first I wrote the thing about Liv Tyler. Then I wrote something about how I was whittling drumsticks this weekend while I was camping. <laughs> uh-huh. Then I wrote, oh no, the corporation. And then I wrote, I see why Andrea <laughs> loves the soundtrack. It's Those were my so first four good. notes. And it's got a few like, obvi- like, I mean, everything is really 90s, except for weirdly the use of Dire Straits' Romeo and Juliet, which is a song that I love so much and is also in Can't Hardly Wait, Hmm. which is another Ethan Embry Mm -hmm. movie. Um, And it's a weird, I love that song. It's one of my favorites forever. Probably, though, because of this movie in Can't Hardly Wait, I'm not sure. But it's also 15 years old by the time they use it in this movie. So it's really weird that this and then two years later, Can't Hardly Wait, it shows Mm -hmm. up in these two. Um, but for the most part, it's a very 90s soundtrack, but it's not, it's like Gin Blossoms, but it's Till I Hear It From You, which is only a hit because of this movie. Right. Like they were really thoughtful about the songs. They weren't just pulling the most popular songs of the 90s at the time. Right. Um, yeah. Which I think is really cool. No, the soundtrack was awesome. I agree with that. I think that that's sort of like, I mean, that is Alan Moyle's thing Mm -hmm. is like killer soundtracks totally like it's like just to run through some of them yeah till i hear it from you gin blossoms liar cranberries again cranberries but not not what you expect not dreams not yeah exactly um a girl like you free by the martinis which is like the kind of like the what's the word it's like the song for this movie Mm. uh crazy life by toad the wet sprocket (laughs) circle of friends better than ezra i don't want to live today by um ape hangers which i love that song but i don't think that song does anything outside of this movie right right um ready steady go uh by the the, the mises a name I, I had no idea that was i just know <laughs> that song from this movie um but then some evan dando like it's it's perfect it's can't also, stop losing myself like yeah and other than the romeo and juliet like it is very of the time mm-hmm. like it's of the time but it's not the expected songs like you said Yep. And I think that that's similar to what he does in Pump of the Volume in that there's like a Beastie Boys song in it, but it's not what you'd expect. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of it's kind of his thing. Yeah. And I even love like the mosh pit in the store. That was so funny. Really fun. Yeah. Well, it makes the customers all crazy like. Um. Oh, yeah. Counting Blue Cars is in this. Um. There's also, while we're talking about the music, mm-hmm. there's that scene with Guar. <laughs> I, do- I was like, that made me laugh really hard. It's I- <laughs> so fucking funny and weird. Yeah, it is. It's apparently was happened really at a show. Yeah, like they it also wasn't part show. of the, yeah, it's not part of the movie. It was all, it was Ethan Embry's idea. Yeah. 
He was Which, like, he saw a flyer and was like, again, yeah. I think this is from that BuzzFeed article, right? Yep. Uh, and was like, we should do this. Yeah. That's so funny. I, I wrote, ha 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 ha, Guar. Is he high? Yeah, he's high. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Eddie. Um, oh, yeah. That, that, that I like that little uh, aside. Mm -hmm. that little moment it's funny this is a pg-13 movie and apparently that was by the studios or the producers or whatever's design that the movie was originally supposed to have an r rating it is funny that some of the things that were lost i was reading were eddie's explicit selling of weed like apparently he was like running an operation on the roof and stuff yeah but you know what else has a pg-13 rating is hiding out which is just full of gun murder yeah and that's fine yeah no, it's weird. I definitely so apparently there is a director's cut of this movie that has an extra seventeen minutes, which I, I've never watched it. I didn't want to pay for it, or I would have. Well, I think a lot of the deleted scenes are on YouTube, and I thought about oh. watching them before um, you and I sat down to talk about it, and I couldn't. I, I feel wanted really... to have the pure experience because I knew that like what you have loved your whole life is the original movie, and so exactly. I didn't want to mess with it. And I, I've just never, I've never. Also, I didn't want to pay tried. like eleven dollars. <laughs> um, so I might after we're done here. Yeah, but it's just I don't. I, I, I feel it feels really strange to me that there's like some, and it's all stuff. Probably, I would bet I would be glad to know it existed because yeah. it's all Alan Moyle. It's stuff that he wanted in, and that this, uh, what's the screenwriter's name? Oh yeah, um, I have um, it right in front of me. I do too. Carol Heikinen. Yeah, it's all stuff that um, Carol Heikinen, you know, intended to be in it. So it's not like, it's not the opposite thing where sometimes, like, for example, there's the Atlantic City scene is apparently um, uh, the studio Mm. asked them to add that. It's the opposite of that. Because, like, you know what I mean? So it's stuff that I probably would like to know, but I just, I feel, I feel weird about it. I don't know. No, I get that. I feel like there's probably, because there were a few moments where I was like, what like I felt like something was missed where like Mm -hmm. at first I wrote down like does Eddie actually work there who's Eddie and I think that (laughs) there was a scene actually that kind of contextualized him a little bit more Mm -hmm. that didn't end up in the final cut I was looking for um some location stuff Mm -hmm. um and I found an article that had a list of a bunch of different locations and it's mentioning scenes that are not in the movie at all it's like this is the restaurant where uh joe and lucas have lunch and here's the joe's apartment where they have the after hours party and i was yeah. like i don't want to see them in an after hours party at joe's house yeah that's like, not what canon. that's so weird does lucas live there with him yeah who knows like, yeah uh, so i felt real weird even just reading that stuff I don't yeah know. i also think it's interesting the original version of like the screenplay Liv tyler's character had no interest in sleeping with rex manning yeah she didn't the- it wasn't about her losing her virginity to him. Mm-hmm. She says, I, I never wrote a draft where Corey wanted to lose her virginity to Rex Manning. And that's her whole thing in this uh-huh. movie. And that she's like perfect. And that right. she's a speed freak. Right. Because <laughs> her character is that stereotype that mm-hmm. you talked about. Like the one we saw last week in Pump Up the Volume. Page, oh, she's right? definitely Paige in a lot of ways. Uh, but yeah. the thing... That then is supposed to complicate her, I guess, is that she does want to sleep with Rex Manning and then doesn't because he's fucking gross about Disgusting. it, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but it's like, 
so if we do take that out, her character is her only, only thing she has going on is not realizing that she's in love with AJ until But in AJ... some ways, I kind of like that better, to be honest. I feel like it's simpler. Like, mm-hmm. it becomes more about the fact that she's a perfectionist. She has to, like, have this great version of herself, but she is, like, taking speed or whatever in order to, like, study really hard. And that she just doesn't know her best friend's in love with her. Like, mm-hmm. I found and... the whole thing with Rex Manning and her felt off to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a way that I know is because it was the first time I'd ever watched it and not like, you know, that it might not seem off to someone who's watched that movie forever. No, I think you're right. I I do. I think that it is. I think they um, were like, Liv Tyler's really hot and we want to, you know. We want her to take her shirt off. She was in a bra in that video. Let's see if we can do that again. Yeah, I think, I think so. To watch. Mm Mm-hmm. Because Rex yeah. does need to be an asshole and he does need and like Joe standing up and kicking him out of the store is a really like nice moment for yeah. the crew the way they all like, you know, say something shitty to him. And yeah, we all hate the new album like that whole yeah. part is really satisfying. But you can find other reasons to do that that don't require poor Liv Tyler uh, throwing herself at that gross man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm glad at least she didn't actually sleep with him in the mm-hmm. movie. But like, yeah, I don't know that we need that part. Yeah. Um, Roger Ebert, when he reviewed this movie, which he did not like it, but Mm-mm. he did compare it to Pump Up the Volume. He, compla- mm-hmm. he compared uh, Lucas to Mark in Pump Up the Volume in his like that's... disaffected sort of uh, That's so dry... funny because I don't get the impression that Lucas... It's interesting that we don't see Lucas before this changeover, really. We get a few seconds of him, but he's already, he's like quoting the doors at the beginning. So he is this weird, like, you know, these, the Chinese guy from the Karate Kid, um, AJ calls him at one point. Uh, but he says, like, yesterday you were regular Lucas and today you're like the Chinese guy from the Karate Kid. Yeah. So there's a version of Lucas that is different. Right. Um, and Mark is not. Like, Mark is that kind of. Yeah interested and like introspective kind of person that it seems like Lucas wasn't until yeah. he had a hard night in New Jersey. I will we've say also, there. yeah, we've all been there. I mean, I'll also say that Roger Ebert referred to the party at the end as a rave. So maybe he's just a little out of touch with the a little culture. Out of touch. <laughs> is that a rave? It's definitely not a rave. Not a rave. I can say that is not a rave. I do love that party though. Oh, it's so fun. It's, it's so fun. Really Did you see the old ladies in the curlers oh, sharing yeah, the beer? Yeah, it was great. Did you see the sort of like the casting that never happened? Oh, yeah. That's... There's a couple of them. Yeah. There's the main one, the There's... person that didn't end up in it. So I knew that because he's credited in the movie. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he still is. Like, if like I didn't watch the credits. Like, I wasn't reading the credits when I was watching it today. Yeah. So I don't know if that's been updated, but like on the vhs it says toby, toby mcguire as andre yeah. i never it's so funny the way my the way that my instinct for everything is to do a deep dive the second i'm interested is to hyper focus and like learn every single thing yeah. about the thing not empire records mm-hmm. like like i didn't know this all i have always known is that toby mcguire was supposed to be in this movie and i thought he was totally cut from it for some post-production reason right that's not that's not the case at all the story is funnier than that yeah do you want to no you do it uh so he was there on location 
And apparently, apparently, too, what I thought was really sweet is the way everybody talks about filming this movie. And it is often the case for a lot of teen. This is such a specific thing for the time. Mm -hmm. A lot of shows and movies were filmed in North Carolina. There's a soundstage down there. And I just for it's just like one of those places like Dawson's Creek um, and One Tree Hill, both famously shot in North Carolina. Um, I uh one Tree Hill was not my show, but I think we've talked about how Dawson. important Dawson's. Oh show. yes, we have talked I've about done, it. I've <laughs> done. I've done the pilgrimage. Like I've oh been God. to some of the filming locations for wow. Dawson's Creek. Wow. Um, and uh, and I ate at the restaurant that was the set for Dawson's dad's restaurant. Like it's, oh my God. Yeah. Um. So. So North Carolina, um, where they went, but because of that, it's really isolated. It's not L.A. It's not New York. Right. So when. People in these shows and these movies, especially when they're young like this, just end up bonding. Yeah. And so there are very sweet stories that I was reading about this week um, of how close all of these people became. And one of the stories about this time, because they were all, like hanging out at Alan Moyle's house where he was li- like he was well, having he also, like, dinners. Instead of putting them in hotels, he like rented a bunch of apartments that were all next to each other on the beach. And so yeah. it was like they weren't as separate as they would have been otherwise. They were all basically living together. Mm hmm. Which I think is really sweet. And yeah. Toby Maguire was one of the people who was yeah. was cast and was living there. And apparently he took a bunch of mushrooms <laughs> one night. They don't think they specified mushrooms, but of they psychedelics. Yeah, they said um, he. Where is it? He may or may not have consumed a psychotropic drug and somehow ended up in the basement of Moyle's beach house eating a giant bowl of cereal. A, a giant bowl of cereal. It's such great a, detail. In, in just. Perfect detail. Yeah. And had like a kind of like uh, existential crisis and was yeah. sort of like, this is not where I need to be. I need to go home. And then I read another article that said he and I haven't checked the timeline on this, but then he checked himself into rehab for alcoholism shortly mm-hmm. after that. So maybe there's like, you know, some yeah. less fanciful stuff going on there as sure. well. But apparently what sparked it was. Yeah. The bowl of this, cereal. The bowl of, of I, I I get the impression that the cereal was speaking to him, you know? Like, sure. It's fruits in my head and all the little O's are talking to him. Yeah. You play a mean guitar, Mark. It's like one of those. Yeah. Um Definitely. Uh, so, another so yeah. Another casting one that I read that I thought was really interesting was Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. Was originally gonna be the Coyote Shivers part. Jody, when I read that, my stomach dropped. I'm mourning a reality that I, I never got to experience. I know. Have we talked about Green Day on this show? We've talked a little bit about Green Day. We've talked about how I came to Green Day through Bad Religion and therefore was a little bit cooler than you were. <laughs> but that. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad we talked about that. Good, yeah, good, good. We talked about that good. part. But I also love Green Day. I mean, like, I just, for me, they were a little bit later, a little bit poppier you know, a little bit more just of the time that they came out. Green Day is to music as Empire Records is to movies for me. I can see that. It's my first tattoo was a Green Day tattoo. I talked my mom into letting me get when I was 14 years old. Oh, my God. My 14th birthday, I got that tattoo. Wow. Um, I was, I mean, Green Day was my favorite band from second grade until Fall Out Boy became my favorite band like sophomore year of high school so like yeah I they I know yeah. I know our audience is really intimidated by how cool I am now that they are I know, hearing yeah, that for sure, for um, sure not not quite as cool as you because you know Bad Religion first and then mm-hmm. Green Day so you're a little cooler yeah but let's yeah. but That's all right, but I just mean like I would not I, Green I mean Day I still was already, listen to Green Day 
Yeah. Like, it's still good. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Green Day was already everything to me when this movie came out. Can so you like, imagine? I would, no. That was Billy I, Joel I'm Je- not Billy kidding. Joe Armstrong. I'm 37 and a half years old. My stomach dropped when I read that today. That's incredible. It would have been so. And I can so... see. Can't uh, you can see, see it, him? can't you? I totally can yeah, see it. Absolutely. Totally he would have been great. It. He would have been not, great. And he's not a scumbag like Coyote yeah, Shivers. Exactly. Yeah. No, that to me was like, oh, shit. That, and that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, that he wasn't in it is because of his touring schedule. Yeah. His touring schedule. Because he was so a successful not even like... musician. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, sad. Really sad for me. Yeah. Angelina Jolie almost played Deb. Yeah, apparently she was too good. <laughs> she was, she like took over the vibe in the room. Like she was too big of a presence. Yeah. I think Robin Tunney is great in this movie. I do too. I think she's, I think exactly, she's perfect. And it was her idea to shave. This is something I knew previously. Um, it was her idea for Deb to shave her head. For real. Is, yeah. Yeah, she does it for real. Yeah. And she has a perfect head. What if it had been real weird? They wouldn't um, know until she did it. Yeah. And it's, it's, again, we we know how important significant haircuts are to you and me. I know. And that's a big one. The song playing is perfect. The yeah. scene is perfect. It also leads to the line. Um, it's one of them says, like, you shaved, you shaved, you shaved all your hair off. And she says, it's still in the sink if you want. Oh, it's AJ. It's yeah. still in the sink if you want to glue it. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good line. Yeah, no, she looks great with a shaved head. I I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse that there are no photos of me with the pixie cut that I got when I was 19, but there's no evidence of it ever having happened because I didn't. I was like, I had just been dumped, and I so I cut off all my hair and avoided cameras. But didn't – you managed – you had the, the uh, presence of mind to not take all of it off, though, because – you don't know. That is something you can't I take back if you got a real weird head. It. I know. I know. I do have a flat spot in the back of my head. I, I don't. I didn't have the guts to do it. Mm-hmm. Like I, to me, that's like. That's yeah, you really the, gotta. Yeah, that's a that's a big decision. That's like if I'm as cool as I am because of Green Day, and you're as cool as you are because of Bad Religion. There's a level above it. Yeah, and whoever that person that's is, the whoever shaving. they're listening to, they can shave their heads. Yeah, um, I was not there. It, it also allows for an, another one of my tiny, it's a tiny little moment. I love it so much. I know much, exactly but it's, what you're going to say, I think. It's when, um, wow, now I'm right. thinking, well, hold on, because it's such a weird, tiny detail. Mm-hmm. It's when um, Joe is giving, or AJ's giving Deb a really hard time and trying to get her to talk about what happened. Mm-hmm. And Lucas walks up and is like, Deb's fine. She's perfect. And he touches the top of her head and I you hear it. it. Yep. <laughs> I wrote it down because they had to they had to mic that that didn't you know what I mean yeah. or like that's that's fully after or something the way that he touched her head was so specific and so perfect in that moment yeah he just just like the it's such a like you again you can tell these people all really care about each other in this movie and it's such a sweet like and you hear the the way the her little peach fuzz like on the top of her head it yeah. switches against his fingers it's so satisfying yeah I love no that moment. i wrote the head touch lol <laughs> it's so good i noted it i sure did that's so funny i sure did it also gives us well sinead rebellion shock me shock me shock me with that deviant behavior yeah i felt like a lot of the lines in this had this sort of over-the-top character that like kevin smith's movies have where like 
we've talked forever about how there's things in teenagers saying things in these movies that teenagers wouldn't necessarily say. They're like mm-hmm. pushed to a new level. Right. But there's a version of that that is specifically 90s Kevin Smith type dialogue. Yes. That I feel like also exists in this movie. Like those lines feel very much like some of the lines I always quoted from Clerks or Chasing Amy. Like it had that same sort of cadence to it or like way of playing with language. People, I I like read a few reviews that tried to say this movie was trying to be like a younger reality bites. Mm. And and it's that weird Gen X thing that they're wrong about. It's not that. This movie feels so much more like teen clerks. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you on that. It's a cleaner, more wholesome teen clerks. In color. (laughs) In color. (laughs) Yeah. Better, slightly better acting. No offense to clerks, but <laughs> right. we all know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's why, like, I fully enjoyed myself watching this movie. Hmm. Like, I, I didn't know how I was going to feel about it, but it was like, I just kind of got it. Like, I was like, oh, Yes. I get this. I get why Andrea's in love with it. I get the time period. I get what they're trying to do. I have no real problems with this movie. Like, for the time that it was out, like, there's some weird stuff with Ethan Embry's character trying to kiss someone with her eyes closed. Like, Mm -hmm. stuff that at the time, again, we wouldn't have noticed. But now you're like, ugh. You know, but those are small things. Max Caulfield's daughter, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I read (laughs) read that that too. I read that today. And I think that that's one of the reasons this movie holds up so well to me is that for everything people seem again people seem to not like about it is stuff that they were projecting on it in the first place like this movie just still feels really good to watch because i don't feel like it's trying to like this this, i I hope people can tell how much i love this movie at this point that i don't (laughs) mean it as an insult i think to say that it's not trying to like wrestle with anything and I think that's totally fine. Yeah. And I think that, like, you can't fault this movie for not doing something it wasn't trying to do. Right. Yeah. I think because of the time period, because of the ensemble cast, because of the age of the people in it, the setting, all of that, there's all these ways that people want to fit it into the mold of the stuff that came before it. Mm-hmm. But it's more of the moment than that. I don't think it's looking back. I think it's like, this is actually now. Right, you right. Know, like Clerks came out in what, 94? 94. And so it is to me of that time period mm-hmm. in a way. Like it feels much more like Clerks than it ever will like any of the Gen X movies that I yeah. loved. And like I didn't go in thinking this was going to be a Gen X movie because I remember that I didn't watch it because it was right, 95. <laughs> I am Gen X. I mean, I'm young Gen X, but like I am Gen X. And if I didn't see it, there's a reason at right. the time. So I wasn't expecting it to be a Reality Bites or pump up the volume type clone Mm -hmm. it is so much more it is like on a spectrum not spectrum is not the right word it's like a sort of venn diagram or something of like clerks and clueless Mm. it's like those two movies it's way more involved in those which again not two movies you would ever compare obviously but like the dna in this movie has way more in common with those two than anything you've brought to yeah. the show or, or wanted to talk about. 100%. 100%. And I, I, I understood, like, the love for this movie. Mm-hmm. I was afraid that there, I was afraid I wasn't going to 
Like just I like, wasn't until I started reading reviews and I was like, oh God, this movie isn't just universally beloved like no. I had thought. No. Oh no. It has terrible oh, no. reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got like a 30%. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. I think that's crazy. I know. Also, but, apparently I have the reverse experience of the cast who only in the last few years learned the, yeah, what the, a cult classic yeah, this movie is. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was a little bit disappointed in the representation of AJ as an artist only because he's kind of lame. <laughs> and he's not a very good artist. Why is that something that we've encountered? Because it's also what's his face in uh, some kind of wonderful isn't yeah. all that impressive. And yeah. we're supposed to think they're great. I love, though, that at the very end, <laughs> he decides he's going to go to art school in Boston. So he can be near Corey. What um, um, art school in Boston would that be? So he either went to SMFA or Mass Art. Uh-huh. He could have gone to Leslie. Uh, I don't know. Probably. I, I'm going to say Mass Art if he was able to get into any of them. That's the one. Based on what you can extrapolate about what his portfolio would have looked like yeah. from the... Yeah, and SFFA he... was, like, sort of the weird, like, actual counterculture, like, Dan Golden, sort of just really run by a bunch of crazy people. Like, <laughs> I think he would have fit in more at a place like Mass Art. With the gluing the quarters down, I wonder how you submit that i guess a photograph you would have to document it yeah. yeah and maybe a little blurb about the meaning behind the piece and it just says i don't feel that i need to explain my art to you yeah uh, that won't fly in art school though <laughs> they make you explain it i had a friend who went to RISD, and i won't tell on here any of her art like projects that yeah. she submitted there but some of them are so weird yeah Oh, I mean, absolutely. Like, that's part of the deal. And actually, I think that's why I said he probably would have gone to Mass Art because he's pretty conventional. Mm-hmm. Like, he was just drawing <laughs> pictures of the girl he had a crush on. Like, he was yeah. not doing any weird high concept. Like, what um, what art school did um, fucking Adam Martin go to? Did he oh, go to art school? I can't remember if they actually talk about that or not. He went to, I want to say, NYU. Why does, now that you say that, I feel like that is something they mentioned. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, I think he went to NYU, or supposedly went to NYU, yeah. which has a really good art school for an MFA program, at least. He also submitted 50 pictures of one person that he was drawing, because that's his whole thing, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of sort of, like, classic, stereotypical, like, 90s male behavior in this movie featured, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Like, the nice guy best friend, and, like you know all that it is they do again i i already said this a little bit but they do such a good job like i said of it actually feeling like a day in the life of people who've been spending a lot of time together for a long time it is kind of cute when he does finally it's not cute when he does it because he picks a terrible time because Corey is visibly crying yeah but when he says like you remember when we had that awful day and you were wearing that, that skirt that skirt with the flowers where it's yeah. just like oh that's like a nice little detail that they included for she's like you hate that skirt yeah you can tell that that's a skirt she probably wears a lot because she really likes it yeah and you get all of that just in that little exchange there yeah just i think this movie for it's funny because for all of my saying like i just don't think it's trying to do more than whatever it is also kind of thoughtful in in a weird way with that kind of stuff like because there's 
so much of this movie that makes it as such a delight for me is in those little moments of dialogue that yeah that show how how close all of these these people are um, yeah and it didn't need to do that though probably it wouldn't be one of my favorite movies if it weren't so successful well and like all the moments where they're like relationships choosing music for the store yeah. and vetoing each other yeah. and stuff um the and they have their machine. little m&m game yeah and deb with the pin machine I love making pins for everybody. I just wrote in all caps. I want a pin machine. I've always wanted a pin machine and I've never had one. No, no. Um, And it's the coolest thing. It is. (laughs) It just is the coolest thing. It absolutely is. You can find people sell those packs. You can get like on Etsy right now, very easily. All of the Mark sucks and and all of the surprised by that pins that she there's also just a little shout out. There is a store in Philly on South Street called South Street Art Mart, and it rules. And um, they carry all kinds of just, it's like a lot of local artists and stuff yeah. carry their stuff there. Um, and they do, they coordinate a Rex Manning Day um, on South Street every year. It has like a bunch of events and, and merch specific for it. But then also they partner with like other uh, stores in the area and do a whole thing together. It's very fun. Every April 8th. Yeah, Rex Manning Day. Also, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize until I read some more about this movie, is the day they found Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Which was like a somewhat intentional, like behind the scenes gesture mm-hmm. about like the death of rock and roll. Yeah. By the writer. It, it is. It's yeah. and it's also it's sort of darkly funny that the death like again, the death of rock and roll is the day that Rex Manning is yeah. being. But it's also only I, apparently they were filming yeah when it like it, i didn't realize in my head how like kurt cobain's death feels so f- like in the past to me mm. i always think that i was younger than i was when he died um so the yeah. fact that that's so concurrent with this movie yeah and I mean, in I fact was like a nirvana obsessed teenager when he died Right. And I'll bet if this movie had come out a year or two later, a bigger deal, like that would have been a whole thing in this. Yeah. uh, Oh, for sure. Yeah. In this movie. So I'm kind of glad it didn't because I could see that being like, again, this movie that's not very serious. uh, Right. Trying to take on something like that. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would have sort of ruined the sort of vibe of the movie. Um, That end scene was really fun. I'm I'm bummed about like the party scene at the end. Uh-huh. Like I'm super bummed that Coyote Shivers is like a terrible person because oh, I no. really that little you know That song rules. That song rules and <laughs> sort of like just watching Renee Zellweger get up there and sing it was awesome. Um and she I did see really that scene. Good... You had somewhere. Seen that. I had seen one, that yeah. scene, probably on a preview or something. <laughs> Yeah. She does a really good job of looking anxious mm-hmm. and being excited. The way she's like flapping her hands. I love her like, flapping. Her yeah, flailing it's really endearing. Really sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really great. Um I so we have our obvious Jersey connection, right? This took place in Delaware, which is it, it, who says? I know they say it takes <laughs> place in Delaware. Yeah, the people that wrote the movie. But this is a Jersey movie. Yeah. It's a Jersey movie. Nobody mentions Delaware at any point no, they in don't. this movie. You would never it, know that this wasn't in Jersey. It was filmed in North Carolina. So it's yeah. not even like, well, yeah, but it was filmed on location in Delaware. No. no. The no. only on location in this movie is, well, it's not, they're not on location in Atlantic City, but because um, they don't actually go there to film it, like, 
it's not. So I'm lying. The only place you can place is Atlantic City. Yeah. So like, yeah, I don't care. It's not. It's also, you know, what's funny is Hiding Out is also a movie where um, I don't know why they keep wanting to send people to Delaware. To Delaware. Yeah. It's weird. It's I don't understand why it's not just Jersey. It's a Jersey. It feels like a Jersey movie. This like band of misfits, like you said, like I. It definitely feels like a Jersey movie. Mm-hmm. Um, couple things about the people. In but do you movie. have a less obvious Jersey connection? Sorry. Oh, I did, and that's <laughs> actually so that came from when I was looking up the people in this movie and like what they've done since. Um, so Anthony Lapaglia, who plays Joe. Um, oh. <laughs> you know so what I'm gonna say? What's that? Was it a so I married next murderer? No, not that. Because uh, that has the giant. Where can I find a giant poster of Atlantic City? Yeah. No, there's another one. He was allegedly, allegedly, the original choice to play Tony Soprano on The Sopranos, but turned the role down. It would have been a very different Tony Soprano. Yeah. But I think he's, I I love Joe. Um. Yeah. I also, somebody calls someone Buckethead in this movie, and I feel (laughs) like... So my friend Andy, who I saw when I was in Jersey, he had a friend who everyone called Buckethead. And I don't know if that huh. came from this movie, but oh, it might I have. wonder. Yeah. We Joe, should call I more people Buckethead. say that you are not the bigger banana head. Yes. Also banana head. A lot yes. of weird. A yes. lot of weird. But it's because of the PG-13 rating. Right. Joe, it's Joe who calls, uh, I think he calls Lucas Buckethead. Um, he wouldn't. Joe is not the kind of guy who's using words like banana head and no, bucket head. No. But but again, it's it's lines that I end up really loving because they're so silly and fun. And it's because of this PG-13 rating. Right. Um, another reason this movie feels more Jersey than Delaware to me is he's got um, Warren has the silliest accent, but it's it's not a Jersey accent. It's uh, Brendan Sexton, who plays Warren, is from uh, Staten Island, I think, mm, which uh, is yeah. like, yeah, you know, but that character, he's I a little with, Jersey rat, he's such a Jersey rat. Oh, I, my how God. Many, how many Warrens did you go to school with? Oh, so All many. Yeah. All of them. Yes. Yeah. There was Jared. There was 14. Tim. There was Scott. <laughs> like, I can name the other yeah. Warrens. Two that Steves. I knew. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, apparently the actor Brendan Sexton is only fourteen um, when they're filming this, and he looks it. He looks it and feels it. He's such a little shithead. I love him. I fully hated him because yeah. he plays a shithead <laughs> so well. I was like, this kid sucks. Well, he's also the he's one of the awful bullies in Welcome to the Dollhouse too. Ooh. So he is, yeah. Well, and he's I, essentially he shows up with a gun later on. Like he's not a good. <laughs> not a good guy well, he's a kid you know that don't make him a bad he just guy. he wants to work at a record store yeah got a funny way of going about it joe's not gonna give me a job uh, why would anyone give me a job i mean he's he got a me point. a job he has a point lucas steals nine grand from you and you don't do dick to him <laughs> uh, so i have one other um what if for mm-hmm. this movie and it's not about people that were supposed to be in it. But there was a moment where Deb and Corey are in the bathroom mm-hmm. after Corey <laughs> freaks out. Uh-huh. And, and first of all, 
there is a special level of friendship where you will pee in front of someone. That's and what I mean. Only had that with two people in my life where I would actually pee in front of them. I don't think I've ever peed in front of anybody. I have had two of those friendships. But that's actually not my point. I loved that moment. But there was a moment there where I was like, what if Corey and Deb were queer? Yeah. They had a moment. They do. They it's have very like a moment. sweet. Not just the peeing, but like yeah. the way she like holds her hair back when she's yeah. like like dunks her face in the water and the way that that she kind of it's so funny because again, this is another great example of like this is a group of people who spend so much time together that like because Deb comes in and is an asshole in the beginning. Yeah. And Corey says hi to her mm-hmm. and she just gives her the finger and she says, like, why does she hate me so much? And it's like, well, she I mean, she does. She, uh, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. She obviously doesn't because you don't have that scene where where Corey feels comfortable peeing in front of her, where although yeah. where Deb feels comfortable peeing in front of her, although I do think part of that is we're supposed to like get a little more about Deb, what a, like, you know, right, different, sure. independent, whatever. But, but that paired with her, like, kind of, like, you know, caring mopping for off her face after she's And joking her with thing. her. Yeah. And she makes her laugh. And it's, yeah. like... Yeah. There's, like, a tenderness there that kind of is unexpected mm-hmm. that I actually felt was almost more authentic than any of her conversations with AJ. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, totally. I could see that. And maybe I'm just putting subtext that I want on this movie, but... But it does explain the, like, her being kind of shitty to her until. Yeah. And then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I'm never going to push back against (laughs) the reading of anything. So. Yeah. Yeah. It is there, you know, as as is the case with so many of the movies we've watched, the issue, the biggest issue with this movie is obviously the lack of diversity Mm -hmm. across just about every category. Yep. (laughs) Like, these are just some nice straight white people um yep. attractive straight white people so that is that is a knock against it for sure but there are some straight white people that i have real fondness for some of them are okay robin tunney because of shaving her head i don't know if it's toony or tunny it should be tunny because it's two ends but i feel like i hear people say toony yeah i don't know um, it's tunny though right i, would, it's I mean that's tunny. how i would pronounce it yeah um yeah and uh She's wearing a wig in the craft because mm-hmm. she had shaved her head for this movie. The craft, again, what am I supposed to do about the fact, Jody, that Empire Records, the craft and that thing you do all came out within like a year of each other? Yeah. This is That's a all you significant need to know. time frame. That's all you need to know. It's a significant time frame. Another little fun fact that if you are obsessed with this movie like I am, you already know. But if this is your first time watching it... Um, so again, Can't Hardly Wait comes out like two or three years after this. I think it's 98. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. another, it's an Ethan Embry movie. Yeah. Um, that movie, one of the major plot points hinges on a letter that Ethan's character, that Preston writes to Amanda, his longtime high school crush, of this letter accidentally making its way to her. And it happens. I promise this is going to connect back. I believe and it. And it happens because it gets stuck to the foot of a character. You only see her feet. Um, it gets stuck to like some gum on her shoe and gets carried into a party that they're all at. And it's, there are two characters, you only see their feet, and those characters apparently are played by Liv Tyler and Johnny Whitworth, who is AJ. Huh. Um, 
So I like to imagine that Can't Hardly Wait and Empire Records exist in the same universe. <laughs> the same universe? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I could see that. And that Mark, I guess that part doesn't make sense because he's still playing a high school person three years later. But Right. Yeah. Well, maybe he got laid back. He's not the smartest. Laid back? No. Left back. Maybe he got left back. He's a little he's too very laid, back. laid back. Yeah. And that led to him being left right, back. Right. Because he's not very smart. Yeah, no, he's not even sure how his name is spelled. He has to double check when they say, is the band going to be with the C or with the K? He checks his name he tag. He does check his name tag. I love him so much. He is, he <sighs> is enjoyable. Yeah. Very, very dumb. But also in well, like a very fun way. So baked. Yeah, he's high the whole time. Clearly. He's, yeah. Um. So, like every other movie we've done recently, this was being developed for Broadway. <laughs> it's a weird one. I know. I, but it's music-based, and I feel like that's always sort of a... And I guess the cult status of it makes them feel like it's... Yeah. Yeah, they were eyeing I mean, a 2020. see it. Yeah. Yeah, they were trying to open it in 2020, and then the pandemic mm-hmm. killed it. But there was a reading in 2022, so... And the book is by the writer of the film. I like that. So, yeah, we shall see. We may not, we may have to do a musicals run where we see this, where and we see this, Death and we becomes her, yep, and pump up the volume. That's so. And funny. check out Heather's. I never saw the Heather's musical. Yeah. Oh, so I, I, I like that. Sometimes we give recommendations about what we've been watching. I know that mm-hmm. like there's a strike going on, and people can't really promote their own stuff. And I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing to kind of do but um i am fully obsessed with the final season of reservation dogs it does something to me in the way that it jumps from episode to episode in sort of a non-linear but also linear way it's just so incredible it feels like looking at like a real individual artist's view of the world and i love it so much i'm really sad it's ending if you have not watched Mm -hmm. reservation dogs please watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I laugh. I cry. I love it. It's the best. It's on my list. It For somebody who co-hosts a podcast, it's all about watching movies and TV. And I think people can tell I really love movies and mm-hmm. TV. It's not that. I just, it's very hard for me to start something new. Yeah. Um, and, but that's been on my list. Um, and you have convinced me it's to bump great. it. It's great. It's great. It took list. me a few episodes to get into it because it's such a unique voice that is unfamiliar mm-hmm. from what you're used to seeing on like episodic television. Right. But once you kind of settle into it and realize that you're just along for like the most amazing ride, it's so good. Um, um, I'm really looking forward to it. I've, I have not heard one bad thing. Oh, it's incredible. About it. So... Yeah. yeah. And it's also like digestible sized episodes for the most part. I think they're sort of variable lengths, but they're not they're not like hour long drama. I'm trying to think if I've got anything. I guess watch dinosaurs. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, I guess you could also check out um this Monday's episode of New Jersey's The World for a familiar voice. Ah. All right. Um, well, next week. Right? Oh. Yeah, Let's talk about what next are we week. watching? So next week, we're doing something a little different. We mentioned mm-hmm. this last week, but we are going to complete our Alan Moyle trilogy. We watched Pump Up the Volume. We just watched Empire Records. And now we're going to 
like I said, do something a little different. We're going to watch his first feature film from 1980 called Times Square that neither of us has seen. But we decided we wanted to be a little bit completist about the Alan Moyle universe. Um, <laughs> hey, guys, quick note from the future here. Uh, we did watch Times Square and uh, interesting movie. We'll talk about it next week. But just a quick note uh, about mid movie. There's an extremely racist song that is performed by our two leads. And uh, it's just good to know about ahead of time because it kind of took us out of the movie for a minute. Um, other than that, I think it's still worth talking about this movie, but just a heads up, that's coming. And it also has an amazing early 80s soundtrack. It also has some queer themes that were sort of like quashed or reduced by the studios. Um, it's got a lot of similarities to stuff we've watched, but it's earlier and seemingly a bit grittier. It's also New York City in the early 80s, which for me, I'm like super excited to see again because I grew up like going to the city when it was you know, a little rougher than it is now. Um, so yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna take on something that neither of us have seen. And then I think we'll go probably go back to our back and forth for a bit. But yeah. so Times Square, it is available online in a lot of places. Um, I think for the most part, it is that like a three ninety nine situation again, which I but apologize But I did for. find it and I'll drop the link in. Oh, great. Um, Internet Archive has it up. Oh, right, right. Perfect. So. Yeah. Which is how I watched Pump Up the Volume and it was totally fine. Same. Same. Yeah. So um, Tim Curry is in it. Oh, As a radio DJ. Oh, Um, fun. And it has a little bit of a psych hospital side, like, you know, uh, setting. So, yeah, there's lots of... um, Lots of stuff that I think relates to other things we've discussed. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I am too. It does not get great reviews. And well, apparently neither does Empire Records. Right. So what do I know? Right. And you know, the film was kind of taken away from Alan Moyle and finished by other people. So it's not oh. it's not his original um plan. But Still, I'm still interested. I'm still curious. It's like a yeah. little time capsule. Yeah, I think it'll be fun to see what preempts, preempts, um, precedes. Yeah, I think either works. Or, no, preempt is not right. No, precedes, precedes. Uh, your yeah. favorite movie. And did you say? I know you said Pump Up the Volume is like the most important or like foundational for you. Is it your favorite movie? Again, I feel like I have to go back to what you said, where it's like, it depends on what you mean by that question. Mm-hmm. Like, in a lot of ways, the answer is yes. There are probably other movies that I have other types of sentimental attachments to. Right. Like, like some kind of wonderful. <laughs> yeah, but that's, I feel like that's definitely down the list. I think, mm-hmm. um, like, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, I will sob. And I watched maybe it every we'll, year. Maybe we're just going to watch it in December because I think we not? have to watch it in December. We can do whatever. I do it every year. Mm-hmm. I do it every year. I mean, I watched it every year since it first came out with my mom growing up. It is, you know, so there's mm-hmm. movies like that. Right. That like fully live in my heart. But I think that in terms of like, a, if we're putting it in the time frame of the like general teens to 20s period, absolutely. Pump up the volume yeah. is my favorite. But and that's how I feel about it. I mean, 
I think I think Empire Records is my favorite movie. Yeah, I, I, I kind it's of like want to reject said, the frame anyway of a favorite anything because it's like how. Yeah, I have a really hard time not wanting to organize everything in lists. Yeah, and I get um, that. I get that. It's yeah. So, but I think that it is really significant for both of us that the that it happens to be the same director. Yeah, and that there's a movie neither of us have. I, I mean, we couldn't we can then. Yeah, we couldn't skip but it. But we're so primed to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited. I mean, in, from the Wikipedia summary, the last sentence of the little blurb is the plot embodies the punk rock aesthetic of misunderstood youth articulating their oh. frustrations toward adult authority <laughs> That's through <your> music, <laughs> which is your favorite. That's, that's, I can't wait. The sentence is just too perfect. So uh, yeah. next week we will be watching Times Square. Please, please check it out. Um, let us know what you think. And yeah, you can find us on Instagram and other places at Watchers Pod NJ. You mm-hmm. can find me on Instagram at Jody underscore Mim, J O D I E underscore M I M. I'm not going to put my own art down again today. Go ahead. You can talk <laughs> Good. about your. Good. I'm glad. Good. <laughs> um, I'm at AQ Andrea Q um, on Twitter. And that's where we are. And that's where you can find us. And we will. And you can email us. Oh, yeah. I always forget that part. You can email us at watcherspodnj at gmail.com. Yep. And that's all the places. All All right, right. everybody. We love you. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. I don't feel the need to explain my art to you, Warren. Bye.